Good morning, good well, afternoon actually, um, well, good evening, uh, good day, and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry, whatever time of day you choose to listen to this, and we continue our look into universally loved films, more specifically the classics of our time, and for today's episode, I'll be looking at another commonly adored movie, and it's actually one of the most recent ones of this season, so for today I should be looking at the 1980 horror thriller The Shining. Adapted from a novel written by Stephen King and directed by the very pedantic Stanley Kubrick and starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall and Danny Lloyd. So the story's quite simple. It's a rather ordinary family at first glance, travel to an isolated hotel, the Overlook Hotel, where Jack is hired as the caretaker during the winter months where the hotel is absence of business and just general life. And throughout this day, Jack is trying to work on a book, but there seems to be some kind of ominous presence at the hotel that soon turns Jack violent, even against his own family. On top of that, his son, Danny, has what we call the shining, this ability to communicate to other people with the same ability without opening his mouth, chatting through their minds, so to speak. But with that ability comes awful thoughts of actual violence past and present that haunts him at his stay at the Overlook Hotel. The material, the story, the plot screams out Stephen King. An isolated place, a writer has a profession, and some kind of supernatural yet quickly, acceptably kind of ability uh, for the child or a character in the story. Now, Stephen King does this various times and time again with his stories and still manages to gain and entice interest on a global scale. The master of mystery, or the king of horror, as he's commonly known, is the most successful writer in American history. He's in the Guinness World Records uh, for most books adapted into films by a living author. I think it's safe to assume that everybody knows who Stephen King is. The best film in the world, according to IMDb, the highest rated film ever in the history of films, was written by him. Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Now, as a struggling alcoholic, as he once was in the uh, late 90s, I say late 90s, late 80s, early 90s, now completely sober, we have his trademarks in his novels like that I mentioned earlier. Now, so, like I said earlier, they're usually set in a remote location or a singular location like, of course, The Mist, uh, or happens in a supermarket, or Gerald's Game happens mainly in a bedroom, or Shawshank Redemption, all in a prison itself. The other trademark I mentioned was the professions of the main characters are usually writers like Stephen King himself, like Jack in The Shining or John Cusack's character in 1408 or James Kahn in Misery. And the other trait is this supernatural ability that his characters seem to possess in the movie. Usually those uh, those people are good and usually they are children like Danny in The Shining or John Coffey in The Green Mile or... Carrie, who has telekinesis. So you can clearly see that Stephen King has a style, and for something that is quite repetitive in terms of protagonists' profession, abilities, and location, Stephen King still manages to write um, stories time and time again and still become a successful author on a global scale. 
It's famously known that Stephen King disliked the version that Kubrick did for The Shining, even though the film is regarded as a classic in the horror genre and in filmmaking alone. The Shining came from a very personal place for Stephen King, possibly in the middle of his alcohol problem. He managed to write the book very quickly. He's very notorious for writing in a very acute timeline. I think he wrote The Running Man, which is like 304 pages in like 10 days, and he published it under a pseudonym as well, which is Richard Buckman, if anyone's interested. And that's the name he used, just in case, and he published seven books under that name, um, I think with the regulators and a long walk are part of the uh, uh, books that he published under that name too. But yes, The Shining. Stephen King was very against the casting of Jack Nicholson. Now, yes, he's a very good actor, probably statistically one of the greatest actors to ever bless our screen. I say statistically because he's been nominated for an Oscar 12 times, strangely not for this movie. So according to Stephen King, though, the main reason he didn't like Jack Nicholson's performance, which is some of the reasons why he didn't like the film, was because he didn't accurately portray this gradual decline in the character from normality to into insanity, which is very well described in the book. Also, Kubrick decided not to involve the character's issue on alcoholism or his issues with his father, which is more... Kubrick's fault than Jack Nicholson's because of his distaste for this film he made a mini-series apparently which I've never seen um, which sort of more accurately resembles a novel but it's, in- it's just considered massively inferior to Stanley Kubrick's interpretation which is hilariously funny and that's a very interesting debate you have people moan about the colour of Harry Potter's eyes or Hermione's hair in the films because it's not described that way in the book by J.K. Rowling or some comment about an adaptation getting it completely wrong from the book And yet here stands a completely different character led astray from the most successful writer in American history. And yet the film is about, is, you know, totally disregarding the miniseries that Stephen King did himself. I doubt many, I doubt many people knew that there was a miniseries that existed about um, The Shining. Most people just stick with the movie that Kubrick did. It's because it wasn't well received and yet it was so accurate to the book. I mean, it couldn't have been more accurate and thus this The Shining debate comes in handy when people bitch and moan about adaptations not staying true. They are two completely different mediums. One is a book and one for your mind and others for the director to best portray how it imagines it and best, you know, it brings swiftly onto the other genius in play here with The Shining and that is of Stanley Kubrick. So I've talked about Stephen King. So let's talk about Stanley Kubrick, the guy who made his interpretation of Stephen King's novel. So the man, he's only directed 13 full feature-length films over 46 years and is still regarded as one of the best directors of our times. Of the 13 films he's done, nine of them appear in the latest edition of the 1001 Movies Before You Die, giving him the best director period because he's got the best percentage only four of the 13 films he didn't make didn't make it into the cut the shining of course did he was considered by many as quite intelligent a genius despite his early upbringings of bad grades and rebellious tendencies with those 13 movies many regard 2001 space odyssey where he teamed up with arthur c clark another famous writer and created what is regarded as according to many critics as the best film ever made in fact all of his movies besides two are taken from famous novels eyes wide shut clockwork orange 2001 space odyssey and of course the shining with 2001 space odyssey it was an instant hit it still is it basically was the first film to set the tone and setting for sci-fi movies and I'm I'm doubtful we would have films like we do now in that genre if it wasn't for the inspiration of that sci-fi epic. 
By the time he made the controversial Clockwork Orange, people knew his established reputation of being a perfectionist and going above and beyond with long working days with many, many takes, much to the annoyance of cast and crew. And The Shining was certainly no different, which included a bust-up between him and the main actress, Shelley Duvall. Now, I said earlier he made 13 feature-length films over 46 years. It's because of his tendency to become a perfectionist. He had to get the movie correct. He couldn't just do it in two months, and that was it. He spent a lot of time doing these movies. This was his first horror movie. He was slated to direct The Exorcist, but he turned it down, and six, seven years later, he directed his first horror movie, The Shining. Now, like Stephen King with his stories, Kubrick had his own trademarks in his movies. The the man reads a lot of books and picks out the ones he likes. None of his films are written by him. All are based on a novel besides, like, two of them. We all know about his right to be perfect in his films. With The Shining, he exposed 1.3 million feet of film just for The Shining. And that's due to the endless takes he made the actors do. Now, to put that into content, the running time for a film is 142 minutes. That's how long The Shining is. 142 minutes, which is 2 hours and 22 minutes. Which means he used 1% of the film he shot. 1%. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, besides his long takes and multiple takes of getting actors to get the scene right because he's a perfectionist, he tends to have his films be narrated, like in The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut, also Clockwork Orange. In fact, most of them are narrated. In almost all of his other movies, the bathroom acts as a pivotal location for something about to happen. On a geeky note, he also likes symmetry with his cinematography. Not as much as Wes Anderson does, but nonetheless, he usually has a shot of the camera going down long lengths of parallel walls or barriers like in Full Metal Jacket or the computer room in 2001 and in The Shining when Danny is riding around the hotel. All shot in complete symmetry. And then again at the end with the maze as well, which, by the way, wasn't actually in the book at all, which is quite interesting. So... The man was a, you know, he was a freak of nature, and his thirteen films have been radically, in, you know, have just been radical in the development of Hollywood and the understanding of how to make a film. The making of his films acts more as a teaching now than a finished product. The procedures he would go through to make sure the film was perfect it was truly motivating and somewhat disconcerting at the same time. Despite his perfectionism, in both, it both acts as efficient and not so efficient at the same time. So The Shining took five years to make. This was nothing compared to Full Metal Jacket, which took seven years. And his last film, Eyes Wide Shut with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, took 10 years to complete, which is why he only did 13 films in 46 years. So there's a shot in the movie where blood pours out of the lift door, if you remember The Shining. Now, he only shot that scene three times, which sounds fine. But in fact, the scene took nine days to set up. That means they spent 27 days doing that one shot, which is like it takes up, what, seconds in the movie. Not even 15 seconds, I would say. The Shining was a difficult shoot indeed. There is no secret. Both the stars, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, have openly expressed their resentment for Stanley Kubrick, simply stating that he got all the credit for this film. They said that the crews and actors worked just as hard as anybody else. He thinks Shelley Duvall, Duvall, and I think this too, deserved an Oscar, and he said it's probably the best performance by an actor ever in a film with the long hours she did and just the demand it took. She apparently suffered from nervous exhaustion throughout the film and she got physically ill and even had hair loss problems during the shoot of the movie. Angelica Houston, who plays Morticia in The Addams Family, is a great actress. She was living with Jack Nicholson at the time and she would say that he would always come back late during the shoot of The Shining and just collapse and go straight to bed and then wake up, grab something and go straight out again. And that was that sort of intensity during the shoot of The Shining. 
Now, despite the long hours and multiple takes, Jack Nicholson claims he had a good working relationship with Kubrick. It was Shelley Duvall that Kubrick picked on with the most, which is evident from the documentary on the making of The Shining. He would shout at her, tell everyone that she's wasting everyone's time on the set. And she later reflected that he was probably pushing her to her limits to get the best out of her, kind of like in Whiplash, that sort of metaphor, and that she wouldn't trade the experience for anything, but it was not something she'd ever wish to repeat. Despite his reported abuse of Shelley Duvall on set, Stanley Kubrick actually spoke very highly of her abilities in interviews and found himself quite impressed by her performance in the finished film. So, look, let's talk about The Shining. Now we've established the geniuses behind the work of this classic movie, the hard-working actors, the perfectionist director, and the most successful writer in the history of America. So, Kubrick apparently drops hints of his alleged moon-landing fake film that he did for the government. So, he directed 2001 Space Odyssey in 1968, uh, which was a year we went to the moon. And NASA were impressed. And the theory goes that they hired him to shoot the moon landings the year after. Now, I don't know if that's true. I believe we went to the moon, but that's the theory. And he never talked about it afterwards. And apparently he drops clues in The Shining about the truth of the moon landing. Whether or not he did or not, we don't know. But if you can see the clues for yourself, then you can make your own judgment. I won't spoil it here. So The Shining had a massive budget. It was 19 million dodgers, which is absolutely huge considering the cast is three people and it's set in one remote location the film did well ended up doubling its money but like i said in previous podcasts classic films don't tend to do well at box office instead they leave a legacy of its brilliance when time does its sting it's rated number 63 on imdb's top 250 best films ever made and it wasn't actually nominated for any oscars which isn't uncommon at all when it comes to horror movies. Horror movies rarely get any recognition at the Oscars. I think only one film has won Best Film that's considered a horror, and that's Silence of the Lambs. That was at 91, 92? No, 1990, I think. And I think only five other films have been nominated that is considered a horror. More recently, Get Out, a couple of years ago. I explained this whole horror genre Oscar thing on my Exorcist podcast. You can find that in season... Three, I want to say. Yeah. So the film is known for its famous quotes. Here's Johnny, which is actually an American cult quote from a TV talk show host with Johnny Carson. Now, Stanley Kubrick had no idea about the line, seeming he was living in England at the time, so he wasn't watching any American television. And also because the line is completely improvised by Jack Nicholson. He did, almost didn't use it in the final film. Imagine that. But most of the iconic scenes in the movie aren't in the book, including the Here's Johnny line. Dick being killed, Jack using an axe in the book, he uses a mallet. <laughs> the maze isn't even in the book. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. That scene isn't in the uh, in the book. The kissing scene between Jack and the dead naked woman. The two sisters talking to Danny are not mentioned in the book at all. The bloody douluge spilling out the elevator, the, film, the, the shot that took 27 days to shoot, wasn't in the book. Danny riding around in his tricycle. Jack freezing to death at the end, that's not in the book. The hotel still standing at the end in the film is not in the book at all. Just shows the mind of Kubrick was at play here, and he used a skeleton-based story from Stephen King's novel, and he fleshed it out to create his masterpiece. So with the axe hammering down a door, which in the book is actually a hammer or a mallet, they predicted that Jack Nicholson would struggle with the door and they wanted him to take some time to break the door down for the suspense bar, you know, just for the for the movie. 
Um, but they didn't know Jack Nicholson was a trainee fire marshal, so um, he actually got through that door in like a matter of seconds. So they had the production team build a stronger door, and that's the door you see in the movie. And that shot, that scene where he's hammering the door, um, when it swipes left and right every time he's hammering the door, was shot by Kubrick himself. He was behind the camera for that shot. So for a horror movie, this movie technically only has a very limited amount of deaths for a movie considered a horror. It only has two deaths in the whole movie. The whole reason Kubrick deviated from the original novel in a massive way was because he said it was sloppy. He called Stephen King's novel sloppy, Jesus, and that he really wanted to make a great horror movie, not just another isolated hotel movie that's been done before. And he was right. He made a masterpiece, and this film is still remembered as probably... It's considered the best horror movie ever made. And for a horror, which only has one real death in it, which is Jack at the end, it says a lot about its execution. There was an article I read from Stephen King who praised the scene in which um, there's a scene where Wendy finds Jack's novel and is confronted by him as a great example of counterintuitive direction by Stanley Kubrick. I mean, so Spielberg said that the obvious way of playing the scene would be to have Jack suddenly appear over Wendy's shoulder while she and the audience are preoccupied with the manuscript. So instead, what Kubrick did in the film, he abruptly cuts away from Wendy to a shot from behind the pillar that tracks over to a distant view of Wendy from behind. So it's preparing the audience for Jack's entrance into the frame and sort of eliminating any shock in his appearance. And Spielberg noted that Kubrick's unusual way of filming and editing the scenes had two benefits. One, it allowed the remainder of the sequence to maintain tension without a moment of relief that would allow that would follow from a shock. And the second reason is by avoiding a surprise at that moment, Kubrick saved the biggest scare in the film for the murder, in which Jack's sudden appearance does come as a shock. And the film, of course, is a classic. It plays on the themes of isolation, something we know a lot about at the moment, and a state of mind because it, you know, because of it. And the ending suggests that Jack is actually a reincarnation of a guest or employer of the Overlook Hotel. This further suggests stronger themes of running away from darkness and that true darkness will always find you. It might even explain why his kid has a psychic ability. I mean, the truth is you can never run away from your past, even a past that was from another life. And that's exactly how the movie opens, them approaching an isolated place, the freedom to express himself by himself. by But instead, the Overlook Hotel, which is built on an Indian burial ground, has other suggestions. Like Danny, the little boy, some buildings can also shine to show you the evil deeds that happened in the world. From the film, we realise maybe that Jack was always the caretaker of the Overlook Hotel, but that's up for interpretation. A place built on the sacred lands of the Native American Indians that were slaughtered by white expansion. Blood will always be spilt in some form or another. I could carry on talking about the mumps on shoot, the maze sequences, what's in room 237 or the relevance of that sex scene in the movie. But I believe with my allocated time with my podcast, I've gone through what I needed to. I mean, the film is a work of art. Um, It's a chink in the chain when it comes to adaptations being better than the original books, especially when the book was written by Stephen King. But this is why this film is too brilliant. You have two auteurs clashing horns and collaborating in a way and it's created probably the greatest movie in that genre. 
Anyways, that's all I have time for with The Shining. Uh, Thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Please subscribe to me on Spotify, iTunes, and Google. I'm also on Instagram, Film Exploration, AH, all lowercase, all one word. So once again, thank you for listening to my podcast and my Shining, and tune in next week for the next episode with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.